1: The Bible is rich with death and life language, and in fact, as you study Scripture, you come away with a clear understanding that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But today, as we'll see, Christ has made us alive. Dead? And Raised in Christ. That's the title of today's program. Hi there. Welcome to our Thursday broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Pastor Gary is continuing our journey through the book of Romans. Today we are in chapter 6, looking at those first 14 verses as we understand what it means to be dead in our trespasses and sins, but made alive in Christ. Here's Gary. How shall we that
2: are dead to sin live any longer in it, He says. Dead to sin. By the way, those three words, dead to sin, is the governing idea of the entire passage, the first 14 verses, dead to sin, died. The verb here is an aorist, which is in the Greek, which in the Greek means definitive or once for all. The death is not conceived as something that keeps happening over and over again. It is a once-for-all-in-the-past death that occurred. Believers cannot continue in sin for the reason that they are dead to it. You see? As John Calvin said, Jesus did not die on the cross so that we could nourish our vices, end quote. Jesus died to the power of sin, and in him we have died To the power of sin. When we believe the gospel. What Jesus did on the cross 2000 years ago. It affects a slaying. In your life. The old man of sin. It's domination. It's curse. It's judgment hanging over its head. His death 2000 years ago. Slays that old man of sin. So that in a very real sense. We died to sin yes obviously to its curse also but also to its power because christ died for our sins and he satisfied the demands of god's justice for those sins now listen the effects of this death are just as real as the effects of our physical death a dead man no longer lives right I don't go to a funeral and expect a dead man to get up out of his coffin. Well, it is the same thing. The one who has died to sin in Christ and has received a death blow is dead to the dominion of sin. But what is the wages of sin? It is death. And Jesus died for us on the cross and he bore those wages. He paid those wages. He satisfied those wages and rising victoriously, he has broken the dominion and the curse of sin. What Paul says in Galatians 2:20, I have been crucified with Christ is the same verb there for crucified as it is for dead. I am dead to sin in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now I know what you're probably thinking because I've thought, thought the same thing. But don't feel, I don't feel dead to sin. Sin still feels kind of alive in me at times. Now understand the fact that we experience the effects of it progressively throughout life. Must not be allowed to negate or diminish the glory of the definitive slaying of the old man of sin that Jesus has accomplished for us. Jesus says, I've broken the stronghold of sin upon your life. So if we believe in him and we are in union with him, as Paul will immediately go to or talk about soon, sin will not have dominion over us. We will not. Continue to live in sin. But this requires a little more explanation. Verse 3. Do you not know? Now, I don't think Paul asked this question because they didn't have some understanding of it. But I can tell you, I have thought about these verses many times in my Christian experience. But I still have to come back over and over again and say to myself, hey, you meathead. Do you not know? Have you not forgotten? What? That so many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Now, what is it to be baptized into Christ Jesus? Let me just cut to the chase. In 1 Corinthians 10.2, Paul says that the children of Israel were baptized into Moses in the Red Sea. Paul even asked earlier in that very letter, were you baptized into the name of Paul? 1 Corinthians 1.13. And of course, for all of us, we have been baptized, Matthew 28.19, we have been baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. So what is it to be baptized into someone? It is to be, now listen carefully, it is to be identified with them. It is to be brought into a very close relationship with them. So to be baptized into Jesus Christ very simply expresses in the closest possible way that we are in union with him, a bonded eternal covenant because God chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We are as connected with as closely to him, to use New Testament metaphors, as a husband to the wife, as the branch to the tree trunk, as the head to the body. And here, notice what is emphasized. We have been baptized into what? His death means we have been baptized into the effects the power of his death and what does that mean it means very simply that as jesus died to the curse to the power the penalty of sin and because we have been baptized into him the curse and the penalty of sin have been satisfied for us and the power of sin has been broken because jesus christ has brought us into under and connected with the power Of his death on the cross. Paul says this is the reason that the believer can no longer live to sin habitually as a way of life. Because we are united to Christ in the reality of his death. It's interesting. That sanctification and holiness and justification have a common source. The Lord Jesus Christ our crucified Savior. I want to talk briefly on the baptism element of this because he does bring forward baptism here. And in verse 4, he brings out the idea that we are buried with him by baptism into death. Why baptism? Because the outward sign of baptism, the application of water in the name of the triune God by a lawfully ordained minister of the gospel, points to an inner reality and operation of what God does upon us when we are baptized. It is a sign and a seal of our union with Christ. We are brought under and into the meaning of Christ's death, so that what His death meant for Him, it now means for us. Now, it's not enough to rest outwardly in baptism. That's not what Paul is saying, as if, being, as if simply being baptized with water, you are saved. No, you may to go to hell, actually, if you think that, because it is not the outward application of water that saves. Peter says baptism does save you, not the washing of the body with water, but it is the answer of a good conscience toward God, the inner reality of Of what baptism points to. And what is that inner reality? It is union with Christ in his death. So that when you think of your own baptism. What are you supposed to think about? When we think of our own baptisms. Or when we witness a baptism. We should be struck with amazement. That before our very eyes. God is testifying to us. That if we believe what the water symbolizes, we are united to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then his death through the power of sin is our death to the power of sin. That is why sin shall not, shall not have dominion over us. So believing that promise, we receive fresh encouragement. We are humbled by God's love to us and his grace. And we are strengthened by his spirit to live as those who are union with the Lord Jesus Christ. Baptism, the reason Paul uses it, symbolizes that our Savior has not left us under the dominion of sin. But brothers and sisters, we live in a sleepy age. Everyone wants to have their personal life history put on a screen so everyone can see it. Everyone wants to film their baptisms. And that has nothing to do with why we baptize. We baptize because unless we have Christ cleanse us by the Holy Spirit, we are still under the penalty and tyranny of sin and on our way to hell. And baptism is God's symbol. I alone in the one who blots out your transgressions. I am your Savior. There is no other it is the blood of my son. Look to him and be saved, all you, the ends of the earth. Yeah. But, but tomorrow the Steelers-Chargers game is going to be played. So let's not get too worked up about all of this. While the piety of the church, this love for Christ, dwindles and dwindles and dwindles, and this culture—if you can call it a culture—this nation, this amalgamation of disparate elements, becomes more and more rebellious. Until, in a boys' organization, sodomy and transgender are encouraged or allowed or whatever. Do you know why? It's not because of unbelievers. I mean, they've got their own role to play, and God will bring every sin into judgment. But we're not exactly really excited about baptism and what it means. That the living God has brought me under the power, the reality, the virtue of the death of Christ. So that in my marriage, my children, my workplace, my community, sin is not any longer my taskmaster. Christ, He is my Lord and my God. Oh, my friends, we should be overwhelmed and excited about that. Now, verse 4. It is unfortunate in many respects that burial has given the idea that Paul is talking about a mode of baptism. He's not talking about a mode of baptism. Jesus was never buried in the sense of being under anything, He was placed in a cave on a rock shelf so you can't draw from this that baptism should be by immersion because that has nothing to do with what this verse is teaching us instead burial is emphasizing the closeness of our union with the Lord Jesus Christ. As surely as he died and was so-called buried, we are as united with him in that death to sin, in that burial under the shame of sin, so that we could be raised up with him. You see, the reason we are united with the Lord Jesus Christ in his death is so that we might be united in his life. Now listen, justification, sanctification being declared right with God, leading a holy life, these things are all inseparable because they are united in the death and in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Notice there in verse 4, Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father. Jesus said in one place, I have the power to lay down my life and I have the power to take it up again. In other passages, he has said to be raised by the power of God, the faithfulness of God, the Spirit of God. There is no contradiction between these. It is just emphasized that it was the majesty of God in his holiness, in his faithfulness to his covenant promises, in his omnipotence that raised the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. Which, by the way, All doubts about the resurrection of Christ ultimately boil down to doubts about the glory of God. And when we deny the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is a contempt against that glory, which is blasphemy. So, the whole project of liberal theology is nothing but a long, sophisticated attempt to mask blasphemy against the living God who by his glory raised up Jesus Christ from the dead. Paul's point here is profound and simple. We are united to Jesus in his death. We are united to Jesus in his resurrection. And united to him in his death means we died to the power of sin. We are forgiven. We are reconciled to God. We are justified. We are no longer under his condemnation. And being united to him in his life, in his resurrection, means... Well, let's look at the end of verse 4. We should walk in newness of life. You see, having and being justified and being holy are inseparable. To claim a right standing with God and yet to deny the importance or the necessity of justification... Is really to leave Jesus in the grave. We don't have a Jesus who's still in the grave. He lives by the power of God. And there he is standing at the right hand of God. Looking as a lamb that has been slain. For he died to the power of sin. And he rose to newness of life. And if we know him and believe in him. We have been raised to newness of life as well. New men, new women. The old man of sin has been crucified definitively. De- de- definitively, You don't have to do it. You couldn't do it. Christ did it all. The old man of sin has been put down like an old rabid dog. And it is no longer we who live, but it is Christ who lives in us. So in union with our Savior, there is strength unto godliness this is where God's grace always leads, and it always teaches. Titus 2.11 says, The grace of God has appeared, teaching us that denying ungodly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this age. But understand why. We are Christians. Why are Christians going to live this way? Is it because we are better? No. Is it because we really, really work ourselves up into a twisted, narrow, bitter, and moral judges and censors of everyone else? Of course not. There are people like that out there. But that's not why. It is because we are united to Christ. And we draw from him not only deliverance from the curse of sin, but we draw from him deliverance from its power. So the question is, do you know this Christ? Maybe you only know half a Christ. It all depends very simply on the fact, which Paul will get into later, that there are no commands here. As a matter of fact, in the whole book of Romans, we are not told to do anything at all in the form of a command until verse 11, which we will get to soon. But as we draw close to the end today, let me ask you this. What should we say to these things? What should we be saying to God's marvelous grace? We've got to say something to our age of cheap grace because it brutally chops Jesus up with a hatchet of, I want to have fun. I don't want to have any duty. I don't want to feel guilty. I want to live life by and, and uh, as it is uplifting all the time. What are we to do? Look at the cross and be done with that kind of childishness. We are not called to live giddy lives. We are called to walk in newness of life and to die to the power of sin. Well, will we take seriously that we are dead to sin? This is, after all, very, very good news. By the way, that means there is Hope for the sins in our life, in your life and in mine and in our congregations. Because Christ has broken the power of sin by burying its curse and penalty. So he breaks the sins in my life and bad habits. It's not my power. It's not my willpower. It is his power. That is why I look to him and why I keep calling upon him. Some people say, you know what? I've been trying to overcome the sin in my life for years. Yeah, well, that's probably the problem. It could be that you have been trying to overcome it. You are not the sin slayer. The Son of God is clothed in our nature. So a lot of our fighting against sin must be a consistent diet of Scripture. His word penetrating our minds, meditating on it day and night, cutting ourselves off from the foolishness and the sin of this world and seeking his grace. And as the prophet said, calling unto God until he rains down righteousness upon us. It could take 80 years. Because it's not going to happen in 10 minutes. But then you need to be at peace with the fact that it may take 80 years. And just keep calling upon Christ. What are we going to say to these things? You know, we also have new life by the resurrection. And we're going to live and fight as resurrected men and women. Wives. Do you talk to your husbands as a justified, resurrected woman in Jesus? And fathers, do you do that to your children? Now, granted, there is a certain mysticism attached to this. It's not, not, it, it is nothing that we can yet see with these eyes, but we have the Word of God, which is surer than anything we will ever see with our eyes. Do you live that way and talk that way? And seek to fight against the sin in our lives in that way. Well, we have, we live as as will we live always as saved men? Will we live as those who have been rescued from filth by our mighty Savior? Ask yourself that. You know, holiness of life and obedience is a reality, but it is also a privilege that we have been invited. And called into union with Christ to pursue these things. Jesus Christ changes men. I sometimes marvel at the changes in some of you. I look back over the course of my life and I'm elated over the changes he has made in me. And hopeful that there are more to come. But Jesus recreates men. He saves men from corruption and makes them sons of God. Are we saying that to our age of cheap grace? If not, say it by your life, by your words, by your prayers, by your witness, by the way you work in the spirit of your families, that there is a God who raises dead men to new life in Christ. We are not perfect. And it is as why we must never go far from Christ and the cross. Because in this life, we need to stay constantly tied to Him. And the Lord Jesus Christ died and rose to secure this for us. And if we dwell in Him and He dwells in us, we are going to speak to others of these things. For the risen Jesus lives in us by His Spirit. And you know what will happen when we say the right things of this glorious gospel of the whole Jesus? who not only delivers men from the curse, but from the power of sin. Other people are going to see and hear and fear and turn to the Lord. Beloved, God tells us they will. But we've got to make sure we're believing in a whole Jesus and not a half of Christ. And I pray the Lord Jesus will come to us in his fullness here, grace upon grace and humble us, for what He has done for us, and raise us up to be His faithful, obedient children this coming week. Amen.
1: Eight eight six six five six zero seven. That's four zero eight eight six six five six zero seven. Our website, where you can drop us an email and even learn a bit more about us, is reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, you can write to us at P.M.B. That stands for Post Mailbox number four zero two, fourteen eighty four Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California. The zip code is nine five zero three two.